calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. What are the key risks facing markets in the macro economy and how do we address them? That's what we're discussing today with Dr. Campbell Harvey, Professor of International Business at Duke University. Dr. Harvey is also Strategic Investment Advisor to the Mann Group, the world's second largest hedge fund. He serves as editor of the Journal of Finance and is the 2007 recipient of the Financial Analyst Journal Graham and Dad Award. Cam, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. So uh, the Fed has engaged in several rounds of quantitative easing. Uh, Jamie Dimon thing, seems to think we've turned the corner in the real estate market. And uh, equity markets are showing some signs of life. So uh, what are the key risks facing uh, the markets today? Well, the, the key risk is that we replicate Japan and stay in a slow growth phase for 20 years. That's really the fundamental risk. Um, yes, we've had some good news. It seems like the housing market has bottomed out and there's a little sign of life. That's good. Um, the unemployment rate uh, has come down uh, to 7.8%. You know, that, that seems good. Um, Europe seems to be doing a little better. That's good. But if you kind of drill down, you get a different picture. So the unemployment rate is not. 7.8%. It's highly misleading. Um, we've had a decrease in participation in the workforce. It's very dramatic. So if you apply the same participation rate that we had at the um, basically the beginning of, uh, of the recession, December 2007, the unemployment rate is not 7.8%. It's 11.1%. And even if you allow for a demographic shift, um, that brings the rate down to maybe 9.5%. So, so I think the people put too much weight on the 7.8 when effectively we're talking uh, about a lot of people who just left the workforce, they're discouraged, they're not counted, and it's just artificially low. So we're in a situation where the unemployment rate is at least 9%. At least. That is not a healthy economy. We're in slow growth and there are many risks that we face. The key thing, as I said, is we're stuck without growth for a very, very long time. That means it could take, um, it could take five to eight years to get the unemployment rate back to where it actually should be. So and a, a lost decade, effect, effectively. So from a macroeconomic policy perspective, how do we address that? Another round of quantitative easing? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. So um, what do we need? So we need growth. And the Fed is in this really tough spot where they have a dual mandate, price stability, and full employment. So they've got to do something. So let me tell you uh, a story. Um, you know that uh, Duke University and, and CFO do this uh, survey 
every, uh, every quarter. So we had uh, a couple of questions on the last survey that was released just before the FOMC meeting. So the idea of these questions um, are the following. To get real growth in the economy and employment uh, generated, we need capital investment on the part of, uh, of firms. We don't need you know, a temporary hire for the census. That, that is not long term. That's just fleeting. So what we were interested in is um, if the interest rates were decreased. So we asked the CFOs directly, if, if your borrowing costs went down by 50 basis points, would you consider investing more or accelerating the investments that you've actually uh, planned on? And to be clear, 50 basis points would be just amazingly successful QE. So we asked them. Um, and we had an amazing number of responses. Uh, 667 CFOs responded. So what are you gonna do if your borrowing cost goes down by 50 basis points? 667 uh, CFOs, 647 said they wouldn't do anything. So 97% said that's not gonna affect what's gonna happen. So then we asked them why. And, and the reasons why were, were very clear. Um, number one, the borrowing costs are historically low. It doesn't matter another 50 basis points or 100 basis points, that doesn't matter. That's not gonna cause me to invest. Uh, number two, we need growth. You know, just tweaking the interest rates, that's not gonna do anything. I'm not gonna invest until I see growth. And number three, I don't wanna invest because of policy uncertainty. So what's gonna happen with the tax rates? Is it gonna be QE4, QE5? So uncertainty that's induced by um, effectively our policymakers is basically um, killing the will to invest. So very clear, 97% said don't do QE3. What happens? We do QE3. And basically just add to the uncertainty. So fiscal policies uh, or monetary policy is not the answer. We need some certainty around uh, growth. And, and perhaps even fiscal policy, putting on our investor's hat. So how does an investor uh, work in this environment and make decisions? Yeah, so um, it's a great issue uh, of incredible importance. Um, let's just kind of take a look at uh, the investment landscape. Um, the market, the stock market, has actually gone up. And it seems to respond positively um, to QE. Given that we're faced with the so-called lost decade at least, and, and given the performance of the equity markets over the last few years, um, you would think um, that markets are fully valued at least, so the upside is very limited you know, by all valuation metrics. What about the bond market? Well. Who wants to be in bonds when the interest rate's 2%? So there is more um, downside if those rates go up than upside, figuring that the rates might go down. Like the rates could go to maybe, what do you think is reasonable, 75 basis points? Yeah, so there's not a lot of room for those rates to go down. So the traditional um, investor that's in equity and bonds, 60, 40, expected returns very low. So I think that this is a time to kind of look beyond the traditional 
So um, just to invest in, in U.S. government bonds probably is not what you want for your fixed income. You need to move out into other bonds, international bonds, not European bonds, please. But there are some great growth opportunities, especially in emerging markets, who are uh, paradoxically, um, in many counts, less risky today than developed markets. They've got low debt to GDP. They've got growth opportunities. So, and you can still get a good expected rate of return uh, on those bonds. I think that um, investors should also diversify their portfolio into real assets. I think that's very important. Um, indeed, a lot of investors don't have those assets in their portfolio, and it basically makes it riskier. Uh, the last thing is that you need to have some cash. Um, this is a time of uncertainty, and cash is the cheapest um, kind of portfolio protect mechanism. It's so expensive to go out and buy protection in, in the form of put options or VXX or something like that. Uh, I think for just the average investor, you need to be careful and, and hold some cash. You mentioned real assets, and this morning you're giving a presentation on gold at our asset allocation conference in Atlanta. Uh, can you give us your take on the role of go gold in a portfolio and as, as a real asset in this context? Okay. Um, I guess what I'm not saying is you've got a 60-40 portfolio of equity and bonds that you should add some gold. Yes, it's a real asset, but it's one real asset. There's many different real assets. Um, the paper that you mentioned uh, earlier in the Financial Analyst Journal uh, Claude Urban and I talked about a diversified portfolio of commodities. Now that's something that should be in a diversified portfolio of many different asset classes. To go with a single asset is like having uh, your stock portfolio in a single security. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, gold is extremely volatile. It is oversold like crazy. People say, well, it's an inflation hedge. Uh, our paper shows that it is not an inflation hedge. You want an inflation hedge, you, you can do that in another way. So a diversified set uh, of commodities is far superior in terms of an inflation hedge than just holding gold. Um, if you really believe there's going to be catastrophe, hyperinflation like worldwide, um, kind of the, the loss of uh, currency as we know it, um, maybe you can make the case for some gold for protection, um, but just to put gold as kind of your quote unquote real asset, no, you need, you need to look beyond that and, and diversify your portfolio. Would you consider any other assets other than a broad diversified portfolio of commodities uh, as a means to protect against inflation? Real estate, for example. Right. So traditionally, um, there's some assets that show correlation um, with, and this is important, you want to hedge unexpected inflation because you can hedge expected inflation just by buying a bond. The yield has got expected inflation already in it. So the key is unexpected inflation. And, and again, I think that um, it is useful to kind of go through and calibrate uh, asset by asset how that asset behaves with unexpected inflation. Uh, but my research at least has found that the best shot that you've got is with a diversified portfolio of many different real assets. And it could include real estate also. And, and that delivers 
the, the best possible hedge against unexpected inflation. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, but uh, it's pretty solid. Well, thanks a lot for coming and sharing your thoughts on how we might navigate this, uh, I think, challenging investment environment. Well, thank you for inviting me. And thank you for joining us. To browse our catalog of other multimedia products, visit us on the web at cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2012 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.